Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, we get into part two of Eris and the Sarah Saga. In this episode, we get to know who Eris actually is, her connection to soul bonding, and all about her now infamous encounter with Jen. As always, expect foul language, but let's get ready for another Human Exception. When it comes to Eris, there's a lot of misinformation and speculation and she becomes an easy target as she never came forward to defend herself, choosing instead to distance herself from the online drama and just focus on what was important in her life, you know. But years have passed and as much as she hoped that this would all just fade away and she would be forgotten, the internet legend would not die and only became more and more twisted. When I reached out to her, I didn't expect her to respond. Figured she'd probably dealt with enough harassment and the last thing that she needed was me knocking on her door, but I figured I'd try. Like, oh, you guys just heard this story. Imagine the people who read that and went after her. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, no. I was determined to prove that Sarah Sega was fabrication and get to the bottom of it once for all. Shot off a message to her back in April and carried on with my business, not expecting a response. I'd probably forgotten about it until July when suddenly there was a response. Quote, hello, sorry it took me so long to find this message. I would certainly appreciate a chance to debunk the whole thing. That began our conversation. What? Growing up, Eris never really fit in with her peers, finding she didn't really have much in common with them, and like any other kid that was a little different, she was bullied for it all throughout her school years. It was a time where kids were told to just ignore bullies and they would go away, which, of course, never really works. Um, mm. teachers I hated that. Yeah, why was that advice. a thing? Um, I think it's because we were neurodivergent and our parents were neurodivergent and they didn't have an answer. So that was the answer that they gave. You know what I was also told? It was was because they were jealous. Did y'all ever hear that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Fuck. They're jealous. And if they're boys, it's because they like you. Yep. They like you. Yeah. They're just jealous of how smart you are and how well you're doing in school. And I'm like, no one, no one cares. Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah, for, for me it was people don't like you because you're a Jehovah's Witness, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, okay. okay, that's fair." Yeah, God's gonna God's gonna you test think. you. God's gonna test you. Yeah, wow. God's testing you. Yeah. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, and teachers. Yeah, say, I. Like, what was that, Courtney? Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I don't think like it ever even like came across my parents' mind, like not on them because this was definitely a thing in the times, but like. To, like, go in and be like, my kid's getting bullied, what the fuck? Uh, and I think that's what it should have, should have been. I don't even know if I told my parents about being bullied. I, I used to come home crying often. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I used to come home crying often, or I would ask my parents, like, I don't understand why people don't like me. And yep. my parents would do their best. Um, but I think my parents are also neurodivergent. I don't know. They don't know if they are. Um, but like odds are good. <laughs> Even if they weren't, the like the teachers in the system was not designed to deal with it at all. 
No, no. What no. are you supposed to do when you have 32 fucking kids by yourself? And you know, in school, both kids get fucking punished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually, I had a kid threaten to shoot me in fifth grade. Oh, and oh. Yeah. And I went to the teacher about it and the teacher wouldn't do anything. So I went to the office and I went to the principal and was like, I don't feel safe. And what the fuck is this? This was before um, the first school shooting that was really like a big thing. Oof. What was it? Columbine. It was right Columbine would have been. Oh, no. It would have the year yeah. before. Uh, this was, this was in like or, maybe in 2000. When was, when was Columbine? 1999? Sorry, I'm getting I'm my say, school shootings say, mixed up. Columbine yeah. was in 99. So this was like, in, this was okay. like in 98. Um, okay. cause I would have been about 10. And I was like, you know, they, he keeps making finger guns at me. He's mm. making me feel uncomfortable. And they were like, well, we'll talk to him. And they were like, he feels bad because you do better at tests than he does. And he's having a hard time and struggling. So you just have to kind of suck it up. Sounds like such bullshit. Mm. Right? And it, it became my fault because I did well in school and he did not. Hey, but what were you wearing, Courtney? <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking, god fucking like the nerdiest high waters from secondhand <laughs> stores and t-shirts man like mm-hmm. it was but yeah like that was that was the only time i ever tried to get my bullying addressed and like i feel like that was a pretty serious bullying situation i lived in a place where there are a lot of guns and people yeah. like we had access to them as Legitimate kids a lot of people did. alaska i had someone in in when i was in first grade they died in a in a gun accident one of my classmates at six. So this was a real thing, like a real fear. And I was really picked on and I tried to get help. And that was my help. And I never went to get help again. Because why would I? Right? Right. Like what the fuck over? So yeah, I totally identify with her being like, I got picked on and wasn't identified with. And like, yeah, you go to weird places and you do weird shit after that, man. Yep. Yep. Completely. Yeah. So like you were saying, teachers, parents, parents don't know what to do, or if they like dress it at all, they're like, "We'll toughen up, or fight back, or like just ignore them." Those are the parents yeah, that, just the ignore them. Just the ignore time. them, and they'll go away eventually. They'll get bored. Yeah. Don't react, and they'll get bored. Mm-hmm. Totally works. Because that's how uh, that's how gazelles get away from lions all the time. Completely. Well, you should have just ran in a zigzag formation, okay? Jesus. That's how you get away from gators. <laughs> it's how you get away from most things. Uh, <laughs> but, damn. Yeah. It wasn't all bad, of course. She had a couple friends, her writing, books, and games, but it was isolating nonetheless. In 1992, Eris would first play Final Fantasy IV, sparking a lifelong love for the fantasy, Final Fantasy series. Quote, I was fascinated with the redemption arc that forms the backbone of the story. I always felt like there was something about it that I wanted to understand more deeply. I was 11 years old. I didn't have experience with fiction that had those sorts of things in it before. Inspired her to write, to delve deeper, seeking to understand more about the world and herself through its characters and plot. Her imagination came to life with all the things that could be, all the things she could do. And in doing so, the game became precious. Where for many, literature and games were a form of escapism, 
For Eris, they were sacred spaces where she could grow and learn. And due to that, she became fiercely protective of them. She felt that she had to hide her passions because if the bullies ever found out, they might try to ruin that too. And they were far too important for her to just let go without a fight. But this also meant that she had very few people she could share these stories with, that she could discuss or debate it with. Fandom as we know it just didn't exist yet. So if you wanted to talk about your favorite games, it had to be someone in your day-to-day -day life. That would all change. But years after her discovery of the Final Fantasy series, she would also find a peer group online where she felt like she finally belonged. She became part of an AOL email list for writers. Email lists were almost like the first instant messengers, just not instant. Join a list and would communicate with the group of over mass email. And one of the few times you're supposed to actually click reply all. <laughs> Fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I work with old people. <laughs> that happens Most all the fucking all time. Reply all. Yeah. I don't like this. You're like, Becky, go back home. Go to sleep, <laughs> Becky. It's not time. It's not time for you to come out. <laughs> Oh, I never did the email list thing. I feel like you, your your inbox would just get flooded. Like if I think of like how forums go, <laughs> but then again, if it's I, email, you probably write longer posts. I was post email list. Yeah, it was I definitely where... was more of like an IM. Yeah, like I remember kid. like MSN and stuff like that. Yahoo Messenger. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Yahoo Messenger. Do you remember <laughs> chat rooms, y'all? Like random chat oh, rooms. Oh yeah. You would just yeah. go into a random oh, chat room. Oh yeah. Yes. And then you click on oh. something and then you say ASL. <laughs> yep. You just the get wild... in the chat room. And you're like ASL, and you're like, I'm 16, and you get like Wild West. Yeah. yeah. Fucking wild, but yeah, the random fucking people 12. that I spoke to when I was like 14. <laughs> oh my Giving god. Giving advice at 12 to people who are like discovering they were gay i had no business <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh, i look at girls so and when we're changing what do i do i'm like i don't know maybe don't look at them because you don't have their permission <laughs> Jeez. Uh, anyway i love it i'm having like flashbacks this is not oh yeah yeah, it's a this miracle. Is a little that traumatizing, man. We came out any any form of like okay. <laughs> slightly it's a okay. Miracle. I I didn't get like kidnapped and put Seriously. in a basement. Like yeah. some of the things I was doing. Sorry, mom and dad. Jesus. Yeah. No, I, I am sorry. No, <laughs> I was definitely talking to an older man at one point who had no business talking to me oh, at my no. pretend age, let alone my that's, actual age. That's fair. I definitely that's fair. But good thing I lived in the middle of nowhere. So. Right? Well, there good you go. Good thing I lived yeah. in Alaska. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's fair. That's what I always say with this stuff is like, if I'd known about it, if I'd been involved with it, I could totally fucking see. I'm gonna fucking catch a greyhound to Pennsylvania. Yeah, like I get that. Mm -hmm. You're yeah. well, so like, on, and no one gives a yeah. shit about your pain and hurt. Someone in yep. does. <laughs> and getting a fucking greyhound across the country was super cheap at the time. Like so mm -hmm. that's so very true. You're like, oh, I did like four days of work for what, like whatever great 
you know, I got paid and I'm out. Bye. Mm-hmm. Figure it out when I get there. <laughs> there was some girl, my, girls in my high school that did that kind of. Um, they didn't have the money, though, so they ended up uh, hitchhiking from my hometown to Vancouver. I don't know how they fucking lived. They got, they would, got trucks with, like, truckers and shit. Like, wow. how, do you not get, how did they not get trafficked? I have no idea. Right? Terrifying. How did they not get murdered? All I know is a couple weeks later, they were back at school. <laughs> it was fucking Jesus. Wild. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, it was yeah a place I've, to- I've definitely picked up hitchhikers and been like, why are you out here? Anyways, it was a place that she could be her so-called weird self and have fun. Quote, it was an escape from high school peer pressure where we were allowed to be deliberately uncool and nerdy and geek about fantasy books in an era when both reading and fantasy were only for losers and admit to things like listening to Broadway instead of pop music. The spirit of this place was about having the right to be unapologetically nerdy. The group's original purpose was writing, but so many in the group had faced similar ostracization for their interests in the real world. It also became a safe haven for full of mostly like-minded individuals. She grew to see many of the members as her close, closest friends, some she still sees that way today. It was through a member in this group that she would first be introduced to the concept of soul bonding. It was a word that she said she, she invented herself when she was young, to mean her own private connection with characters, and she kindly shared it with us. I don't think she ever meant for anyone to popularize it on the internet. So like, this is the origin of soul bonding. No. Yes. What? But the idea, like similar kind of practices, I'm sure already existed under different names, but this is where sure. soul bonding came from. She, she told me that she knows the girl who, who made up that term. That's wild. Holy banana pants. Okay. Yeah. This idea would really resonate with her being a writer and her interest in RPGs and literature. Any writer would tell you that many of our characters live in our heads rent free. So this idea was an extension of that concept. And Eris found the idea of that kind of immersion attractive. Soul bonding was just some little fun thing that I'm sure people have been doing since the beginning of time, making up stories and LARPing. It was both sane and harmless. I don't think it hurt anyone. It enriched our lives, gave us a creative outlet. For me, it even provided self-development cues as I tried to figure out what it was that drew me to various characters and stories. I think we all benefited from that kind of open-ended playing. Who didn't do that growing up? If you had any yeah. remote amount of creativeness, and especially if you were like bullied and ostracized because you needed to entertain yourself, like we all like I, I imagined and played pretend and whatever you wanted to call oh, it. Oh yeah, I had a oh, yeah. very rich inner world. Yeah, still mm-hmm. do. Yeah. yeah. Well, sometime in 1999, 2000, a mutual friend would introduce Jack and Eris. This was one of the first times that Eris had met someone outside of the writing group that was familiar with soul bonding. And this is something that the two would connect over, that and their love for Final Fantasy VII. Jack was in the same fandom as me, had cool, fun ideas, and we were both college freshmen. We didn't really live near each other, but that spring break, Jack took the opportunity to hop a Greyhound and visit Eris on campus. Oh my gosh. We were in the same state at the time. So like, you know, Jack met this person online. (laughs) They both talked about soul bonding and video games, and he decided to take Greyhound to go see her wild mm. another time <laughs> yeah. the two played some final fantasy 8 and watched some anime and in general just had a good time jack would visit a couple more times and while they weren't that close Eris suspected he just didn't have much of anywhere else to go on break 
was until he met Jen. Chris saw less of Jack when Jen came into his life as he spent more time with her and his local friends. After break 2001, Jack and Jen invited Eris to come visit. They had spoken a few times online and they shared many of the same interests, so Eris had figured why not. Quote, Jack and Jen invited me to spend a week at their place. I met Icarus. We goofed around and had fun. After, Eris would go abroad and she wouldn't see the couple again until summer 2002. Once back, there were a couple visits back and forth, but most of this, these interactions were online, and there was increasing pressure from Jen to roleplay and be in character all the time. Quote, mm -hmm. The fandom aspect was irrelevant. We all, including Jen, knew on some level that the fandom stuff was just play. I hate to describe it as pretending, but it's the truth. It's just, if you pretend hard enough, you at least get to have the experience you're looking for, whether it's materially true or pure imagination, so why not? We had this sort of unspoken agreement not to break the illusion. We felt, I think, that, that if we all agreed to pretend intensely, it would be the next closest thing to experiencing the fantasy adventures for ourselves. At some level, we knew we didn't want to throw magic fireballs. We wanted to feel as if we were throwing them. And unre unrealistically at that, we certainly wouldn't have been prepared for the consequences if we, any of that had actually worked. It was actually great fun, if intense. I regret none of that stuff. I just regret that ten Jen turned out to be so toxic. Mm -hmm. Just like such a sweet concept, right? Of just like you and your friends get together, LARP. Like it's yeah. what LARPing is. They're it's just, just LARPing. Like is. <laughs> you know. That's that's exactly it. Yeah, man. Get together with your friends and pretend to be someone else for a couple hours. <laughs> Jen just doesn't know when to turn it off. Yeah. So Jen had lashed a soul bonding in her own way, taking it much further than the creator had intended, and twisting it to suit her own fantasy. We have heard from others how Jen acted like she took soul bonding things so seriously that even writing about your soul bonded character facing adversity was a form of abuse. You were abusing your soul bond. Like this isn't right. a classic soul bonding thing. This is a Jen thing. People associate it with soul bonding because of Jen and the infamy around her. Wow. Hmm. So while many outside the story like to think of Jen, that she was serious, that she truly believed she was a reincarnation of a character and was channeling these characters, Eris says otherwise, quote, in case anyone should doubt that Jen herself knew it was imaginary, I checked. She called me a good actor once, and I said that she'd never really seen me act. And then she very reluctantly pointed out that technically everything we were doing was acting in a way. So there's that answer that we finally got, that Jen acknowledges the fact that it was all play. Game. Mm -hmm. Dang. Yeah. yeah. Since... Since the first time Eris met Jen, she got a feeling something wasn't quite right with her behavior and how she treated others. The constant need for money and attention had her somewhat puzzled. She was young and a little naive, and she didn't have a lot of life experience, so she felt that she couldn't judge Jen for the ways she chose to live. But she does admit it didn't quite sit right with her. Quote, I wasn't close enough to Jack for a real heart-to-heart. -heart. I tried to stay out of it because I felt like it wasn't my business. I wasn't a, an adult with experience living alone either. I felt that I, it was sus that Jack was always needing money for food and rent, and Jen insisted on buying frivolous things like plushies. It sure sounded irresponsible and raised a red flag about them and money, but I didn't have the experience to back up my intuition. I wouldn't interfere in someone else's life when I didn't even have any facts. When I had not lived on my own by myself, like... I was just someone who came over to LARP with them and embarrassingly yeah. overheard them fight about money and thought, yikes, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. Wow. So Jen began to grade on Eris, but it was a phone call that made Eris decide enough was enough. Quote, 
She wanted me to visit that very weekend and I said no for some reason that I don't even remember. It wasn't about her. But instead of just accepting that I wasn't going to be there on demand, she dug in her heels. Suddenly she was angry because she couldn't have her way and she ramped up to saying that if I didn't visit her, our friendship was over. I thought, oh, this is what all those cartoons and PSAs meant when they talk about people that aren't your real friends. That's <laughs> so fucking sad. Yeah. It is. Jen didn't take this well. The next week, Garris drove to State College, picked up some of the things that she left behind. This would be while Icarus was visiting or was living there. And she says this is the last time that she saw Jen or Jack. Quote, I felt bad for Icarus because he seemed to be stuck in there too deep to get out. But there was nothing I could do to rescue him. So I just left. Again, like you don't have the social experience. The backup was happening. Like, right. Kind of You're doubting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, at the time, Icarus was doing what Jen and Jack was telling him to do and was treating Eris like shit, too. Because, mm -hmm. you know, she was suddenly the bad guy. So, Eris tried to put an end to things in a private manner, not wanting to drag things out and just move on with her life. But Jen wasn't satisfied to let things quietly die and turned around to drag everything out into the open. Quote, of course, this made me an instant enemy and she pitted each subsequent person against me. There was no helping that. There was fallout drama and I said my share. Of Jen's friends wanted anything to do with me. They were all talking about how mean I'd been to her and how badly I had treated her. That was it for Eris, and she had very little patience for Jen's nonsense after that. She told mutuals that she was done and warned them that Jen had was bad news, but Jen had already had her hooks into many of them, and it was an exhausting fight that Eris just didn't have the patience for, so she walked away. Hmm. Years passed and the drama with Jen faded, and while it's resurfaced momentarily in 2005 when Icarus posted his website, Eris had little to do with that other than her letter getting a letter to Jen getting posted. She emailed Icarus asking for a correction and that he used a pseudonym for her, and that was that. Quote, I believe Icarus told the truth about that awful summer where he was stuck there. No exaggeration, no lie. I didn't hear any of it as it happened, only later on, but it wasn't at all a surprise. That's how life in the apartment really was. Hi, this is Future Kayla. Eris and I remain in constant contact throughout and after the recording of this episode. The other day she mentioned there was something else that she wanted to clear up, and I thought it was very much a point worth mentioning, so I thought I would add it in here. Quote, While we're clearing things up, I've always been a little bothered by the part of Icarus's account saying that I made out with Jen, because I didn't. I don't know what he thought he saw or heard, but you know Jen was indeed trying to force herself on me with whatever bullshit she made up, but I ducked out of it. But I didn't want to make too big of a fuss about it because the way that Icarus wrote about me, quote, the girl who claims she's straight, made it sound like I was really insistent on being straight, like I had some sort of stick up my butt about it or something. And I didn't really want a reputation for being uptight about that either, so I just let it go. End quote. What Eris says makes a lot of sense. Jen was known to make romantic passes at any femme-presenting or mask AFAB individuals, whether she was actually interested in them or not, or if they even showed any interest. In Icarus' story, he says this, quote, I myself have always been squicked by personal displays of affection. It comes part and parcel with being asexual, but I had to lie on my guest futon while Jen and Eris snuggled, made loud kissing noises, and giggled with each other. I could not wrap my head around the girl who claimed to be straight, could not see that she was lying with another woman making out. Edit. I turned my, I turned my back to them at this point because I was squicked. I heard kissing noises, but I can't confirm that they were really making out. It may have just been Jen kissing her hand or something. End quote. While his text does explicitly say that he doesn't know if they were actually making out, it's strongly implied, and this is often the takeaway that readers come away with. 
What may read as intimacy and affection is actually more akin to sexual assault. Knowing Eris' side of the story, Jen was forcing herself on Eris, and Eris, too uncomfortable and awkward, didn't really know what to do with the situation and just did her best to get avoid get out of it. We have heard from many people that Jen liked to make her romantic partners feel lesser than. Like Marley told us that Jen would rag on Jack for not being man enough and being unable to please her because he didn't have the right equipment. We know from Mela's story that Jen purposely tried to make out with Mela in the back of the car while her partner, Angel, was driving. Mela did not ask for this interaction, nor did she want it. From Theo, we know that Jen would jump into roleplay and try to use roleplay to force others into intimate settings that they did not consent to. There is another survivor who isn't comfortable coming forward, but she too has expressed many times that Jen would make passes at her to try and kiss her when they were roleplaying. In Eris' scenario, it was roleplay as well, and Jen was playing a character that was a romantic partner to Eris' character. We don't know if Jack was there, but if Jack was, it's very possible that she could also have been trying to make Jack jealous. Eris also had something else to say. Quote, a friend saw Jen's photo and said that they were surprised that they always picture Jen as looking unkempt. And that's the thing. She looked normal. No one would ever pick her out of a photo lineup as dysfunctional. In fact, I think they used the weirdest and least flattering photo they could find. The glasses and even the way she's wearing her hair and lab coat picture are, all, are a cosplay. If she wasn't costuming, she would wear her hair down in some kind of possibly goth, possibly normal dress. And if they only ever saw a photo, one wouldn't be able to tell from her normal, moderately pretty 19-year-old self... Like, you wouldn't be able to see that she's even a geek. She could look very put together when she tried. Although, as time went on, she switched to wearing the skirt most of the time. Icarus's description of her always kind of made me giggle, even back in the day, because it's 100% true about the skirt that she always wore pulled up around her body at home. She started doing that while I was there, and I think the reason for it was that she was gaining weight. It upset her, and her clothes probably didn't fit very well, so she was trying to use them in a more comfortable way. What was stupid was that she chose to spend the money she didn't have on Disney Store plushies instead of going to Walmart and getting clothes that fit, but I think she was hoping she would lose the weight really soon and fit back into her other clothes. She was only a little bit fat. She was just very self-conscious about it. She was tall, broad, and curvy, I suppose you might say. Even in the early thousands when fat shaming was popular, her weight wouldn't have been the first thing that people noticed about her. But she was so obviously sensitive about it, it was an easy, cheap shot. But even back in the fast streaming days, people seeing a photo of her would never think, oh, she's not well put together, or, oh, she's out of control. One absolutely could not tell. Icarus's descriptions highlight the dysfunction, but that can be kind of deceptive if people think, oh, I'd see a person like that and run away. You wouldn't see it at all at once, and the worst of it wasn't visible. It wasn't her looks that were overwhelming, or anything that could be captured in a photo. It was her way of getting up in your face before you saw her coming, both physically and metaphorically. She was not clean, but she didn't smell or anything, well, yet. It wasn't like sitting next to her was stinky, she was just not someone you especially wanted up in your face. She pushed how long she could go without showers, and to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if she, if this too was getting worse over time. I never said anything because I didn't want to be rude about it, but it didn't surprise me to hear that she stayed on the one-way train to Grossville. But it's not necessarily great that survivors went on to paint her in the worst possible light, making an exaggeration of all things that were bad about her, because it makes it sound like you can see her coming, and would know better than to hang out with her. Most of it was only sometimes, although she might have gotten worse after I left. She was so fucking overbearing. That was really the notable thing about her. She towered over me closer than I was comfortable with. She tried to use charm, like some this sort of vulgar allure, like, girl, are you exuding pheromones in my face, or is it like three different kinds of cheap body spray or both. 
and she'd flirt really heavily, getting up in your face, but she'd stop if you changed the subject. Like, you could distract her and reframe it, and she'd take that and leave you alone. Not as pushy as most guys who've tried to flirt with me, to be honest, because her goal wasn't sex, it was admiration. Everything she did was a grand performance, super focused on you. If she left it at that, it would just be amusing. But if you let her go on, she'd invade your own personal space, as well as your ideas and stories and dreams. She'd unsettlingly reframe everything to be all about her. It was clear that she would invade as much of you as you'd let her. And she wasn't even reframing any of it to keep it from being obvious. And that included invading you physically. She was always getting up close and trying to make a move. But what she wanted was compliments and flattery and attention. She had no self-control and no respect for boundaries. But she didn't want people to get angry or hate her. Because her motive was for everyone to love her and fawn over her. So she would stop just short of anything that you could get angry about. As long as she thought that she had you hooked. She didn't care whether you nudged her in a different direction to get her to drop whatever she was doing. She was an opportunist. All you had to do was flatter her a little and she'd be on board with your distraction. She would have been so easy to control right back. She was a tyrant but also totally vulnerable if anyone wanted to take advantage of her. Whenever I hear about how people with mental illness suffer the most abuse, I think of how easy it was to read Jen's motive and to influence her with her own methods and how easy it would be for someone to turn it around and take advantage of her instead. And I've sometimes wondered if that's where she is now, trapped by someone else or worse yet murdered. She would not see it coming. End quote. Eris makes a really good point that like Jen was very vulnerable to any signs of affection or flattery. And maybe that is why Jen targeted vulnerable individuals who were less likely to turn her tactics against her. After Jen's experience in the troubled teen industry, I could, I could see her avoiding anyone that might be able to hold power over her. And prior to that, she was only dating men. So it's possible that that's another reason that she switched to AFAB individuals or femme appearing individuals, because maybe she felt like she had more control in that situation. This is all speculation, of course, but it does give us a lot to think about. It's easy to think of Jen as this person who knows exactly what she's doing while she's manipulating and controlling everyone, that she's in control when she is not at all. And that's part of the reason why she does everything that she does, is to try and force that control, make it seem like she's in control. She's very insecure from what we know. And that's what fuels a lot of her behavior. Anyways, that's all from future Kayla. Back to the original recording where we jump into another quote from Eris. I'd like to go on record and say that while Jen was absolutely a toxic person, her issues were 100% normie. She's the same kind of toxic as any other scammer. I'm old enough to remember when the very idea of internet fandom was painted as this deviant behavior that inevitably spawned drama and tragedy. I just wanted to head that off up front. It's not fandom's fault, or LARPing's fault, or Sorbonne's fault, or weird beliefs' fault, or any kind of fan behavior's fault that Jen used these things as tools to manipulate people. Fandom, fiction, identity exploration, these things are healthy. It was Jen that wasn't healthy. Yeah. Which isn't. So true. Wherever she is. Iris refocused her attention to other things. The concept of soul bonding was spreading, and with it, plenty of misinformation. People making assertions about soul bonders, really believing that they were these characters. And while maybe this was true for some people, it wasn't for Eris and the other soul bonders that she knew. Quote, Even though I distanced myself publicly from Jen, I was still quite concerned that people were going to find and bully me over the soul bonding thing. 
like they did with a friend of mine. So I put up a site explaining why it wasn't terrible. Everyone was making sites in those days about it and I wanted people to see that it wasn't, it wasn't something worth making fun of. So that if it did get dredged up, it wouldn't cause me any problems in the future. She felt that she needed to correct the, the stereotypes and began to post about soul bonding, but this only drew the attention of the trolls. Exasperated, Eris stepped back and chose instead to live a more private online life, abandoning her old pseudonyms and adopting new handles with much stricter privacy settings. It's like, it's so sad because like, she's like, okay, well like, no guys, this really isn't that bad. And people just took it as an opportunity to attack her more. To, yeah, to just claw on. Yeah. Oof. Mm -hmm. Summer 2008, Eris was preparing to move across the country to be closer to her boyfriend, Will, who lived in California. She was neck deep in packing when one of her friends reached out, quote, I found someone making up ultra bizarre stories about me in some housemate community. I was in the middle of my move and didn't have time to sit down and confront the frustration of more ugly lies about me on the internet. So I asked him to go ahead and deal with it on my behalf so I wouldn't have to sit down and read it. I just resigned to never Googling myself and hope nobody else did either. This would be the Sarah saga. And what she didn't realize was that the story was steadily gaining traction day by day and how her name had become associated with it to begin with. It's important to note that the Sarah Sega itself does not implicate Eris. In fact, during the first couple of weeks, no one had any clue that she might be the person that the story was about. The comments were full of people speculating about who it could be, which of the many infamous soul bonders was the subject. Naturally, Final Fantasy VII House would find its way into these discussions, and some theorized that Sarah was Jen. But anyone that had given more, of a cursory, more than a cursory glance at both stories could tell that there's just too many things that didn't line up. Like, the whole fact that, like, I was saying that Sarah's an Eve freak, and then there's Jen. <laughs> Who's not? Mm. <laughs> like, those are not the same characters at all. No. How did Eris get linked to this? The story found its way onto the Something Awful forums. About four years before the advent of 4chan, Something Awful would grace the internet and become a part of the internet culture that we know today. Like 4chan and Reddit, Something Awful was a, correction, a collection of discussion boards covering all myriad of topics. While not as heinous as 4chan, Something Awful had its fair share of trolls, and it was one of, the, one of these trolls that posted the Sarah Sega there for everyone's amusement. What no one expected was that this user named Jagerhund would have recognized the Sarah character. Jagerhund claimed to have dated a girl in high school that sounded a lot like Sarah. It was him who would go out to dox Eris by posting pictures of her, links to her websites, and even including a copy of a legal document about her name change. Oh, fuck you did this girl That's in high school, up. so you're going to dox her because she sounds like a story you're reading online. Oh my gosh. What was he basing this on? Well, Eris was a soulbonder and a fan of the Suikoden games, and he knew that she had changed her legal name with parts of it being reminiscent of a character from Suikoden, just like Sarah. Correlation between Eris and Sarah was a bombshell. Something awful forums lit up as the, as the story spread and eventually made its way back to LiveJournal, where claims began to be repeated in the comments of the Sarah Sega. Eris's friends pleaded with the mods of Housemate Horror to take the story down, claiming the story was made up to make her, her fr their friends look bad. These friends would also comment on the story or make their own posts arguing for Eris's innocence, which seemed to only further fuel the fires. Tensions were growing, and the observers of the story began to divide between those that believed it was true and those that thought the story was made up. And then, of course, the trolls that were just there for the whole chaos. There were plenty of things to discredit the story, the whole giant mansion in California that one young man owned and could rent for pennies, the lax rule of Sarah's workplace, and the similarities in writing styles between the different alleged authors. 
It said that the author snapped at a few people in the comments claiming that they were Sarah and things got ugly. It didn't help that the story had a lot of problematic elements with blatant instances of trans and homophobia and very bully-like behavior on the behalf of the authors against Sarah. On August 21st, 2008, the 12th entry of Sarah Sega was posted, ending with the promise that the next would talk about Eris bringing everyone to court. But that next post never came, and within the next couple of days, all the posts by Dragon Tiger Claw would be deleted. Members of Houseman Horror's group were in shock. Nothing so big had happened before, and the readers of the story had more questions than ever before. They found their way to other communities to discuss the story, but the narrative seemed to be shifting, the general opinion becoming that the stories had to be fake and that the author just couldn't handle the heat, so they left. The question is, what really happened? That's it for this week. Next week, we're back with the third and final installment of Eris and the Sarah Saga, where we'll finally get deep into what you've all been waiting for, what actually happened with the Sarah Saga. As always, pictures and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story you want to tell us? Want to tell us that we're wrong or you just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And again, the fun, you can come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend. Really? Even a ride to the girl from the fucking ferry with Jake. Uh, oh, that's right. That's, that is. Oh my god. I forgot about that. What happened? So I went to pick up Jake at the ferry, and he had been talking to this girl, and she was trying to figure out how she was going to get uh, to her hotel. And I get there to pick him up, and he's like, hey, do you mind if we, like, give this random girl a ride to her hotel? And I'm like, sure, I guess. This feels really weird to me. Um, So she sat in the back seat of the car and dropped her off, and I was like, you need to tell her to never do that again. Yeah. Because this was not only super uncomfortable for me, but she could have died. If she got in the car with the wrong people. Oh my God. mm, Yeah. 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 She couldn't Mm. have been safer with Jake and Nathan, but like, that's sheer luck. Yeah. I remember Mm. sheer luck. Jake and I were just dating at that point. And I remember him like messaging me about how he was talking to this girl and they were giving her a ride. And like, at one point being like uncomfortable with the situation from like a girlfriend perspective and then remembering like this woman no what is she doing yeah. <laughs> right yeah. right better she go with them than yeah yeah then just yeah. some randos because at least you know like my boyfriend's not gonna murder her right well, exactly. as far as you knew yeah. at the time, <laughs> yeah DJ. as far as you knew yeah <laughs> yeah I think we've been dating for at least a year at that point it wasn't that long oh, okay. it had been a while so it wasn't like it wasn't like completely like we were brand new and dating, but yeah, sure. yeah. still not comfy. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's rough. Yike.
Anyways. <laughs> we did not get totally uh, off track. Like we always do. Mm. Never. 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 Ever. Ever. Um,